0: Welcome to CanQueer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. So in Wales, because I am I am from Wales, I'm from the Valleys, from uh, Chenechy. Yes. From, uh, you know, actually. Uh, now in Bangor, which is um, Bangor City Council, which is, I believe, in North Wales, they've elected what uh, folks believe to be the world's first non-binary mayor of a city
1: openly non-binary, because we don't know about all the thousands of bi- of uh, mayors of the past.
0: I actually have read about this. Yeah, I have been to Bangor, because uh, it's near <laughs> and I went there to get a photo of the train station. But uh, yeah, just uh, uh, anyway, so it's exciting news. And, you know, I read it and I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. And I, that people, yet again, the media, I think, is blowing this out of proportion, It is important and impressive that uh, Owen has, uh, uh, they, sorry, identify as genderqueer or agender, um, also understood to be the youngest mayor ever in Wales at only 23. Um, And everyone's like, wow, this is amazing. But Owen was the deputy mayor for like a whole year.
1: And a city councillor before that, like this is not yeah. just somebody who won a popularity contest. This is somebody who actually like put in at least a little bit of time. You know, maybe not a twenty-year career, but some time in the city's government and and prove themselves.
0: And, and it gets even more. The yeah. local council is like, oh, you know When uh, you know, you should put your hat in the ring. You know, have a go. Um, that's my my bank. Actually, I, I, I'm i from South Wales, so for, for a North Wales accent, oh, there we go. Go on in a way, have a go. But you know, <laughs> it. Sorted. So, yeah, they, it was actually the other councillors who encouraged Owen to, to, you know, put his hat in the ring. And then it, it is the councillors of the city of Bangor who elected the mayor. Mm-hmm. So they choose the mayor from amongst themselves. And I, I, I don't say this to diminish the incredible work of, that Owen's done. Mm. But if you told me that Owen, an age person from North Wales, was elected mm. as, you know, the youngest, uh, you know, and the first uh, mayor, I'd be like, holy smokes. Yeah. But if you told me a room of 12 people who've worked with this person, who has worked for a year as a deputy mayor, chose him over other people in the room yeah sorry them i keep my apologies for misgendering but yeah it's it's like it it changes the conversation slightly
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: it is not to negate the fact that Owen has told the bbc and, and others that uh you know it, their life has been fraught with you know people uh being cruel mm. um there's a lot of online bullying that happens You know, in a in a tweet that Owen put out uh, and a quote, when I came out two years ago, I was worried I'd be ostracized by my community or worse. Today, my community elected me mayor of our great city. The youngest ever mayor in Wales, the first ever openly non-binary mayor of any city anywhere beyond humbled deal Bangor. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. I was very heartened. But yeah, did you hear about Owen's uh, victory?
1: I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, uh, I think three years on city council. Oh, I think they did three years on city council before becoming deputy mayor, but yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, the, 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 from a political standpoint, what, I don't watch a lot of, uh, British news, but I have noticed in the UK that the, uh, Welsh political scene is known for being profoundly practical, just like the Scottish political scene is, oh, can you get the job done? Fine. That's, that's fine. The other guy can't. So here you go. (laughs) Good luck.
0: But yeah, so it's interesting because Owen was uh, a member of the Plaid Cymru seat, which is the Welsh Independence Party. He sat with Plaid Cymru um, and then he left Plaid Cymru over a um, trans uh, and and a bit of a scandal with the Plaid Cymru party. They actually stepped away from the party because of that. But yeah, you're right. There is a bit of a, a no-nonsense approach in the, uh, the, the Welsh uh, Parliament. But uh, yeah.
1: The trick is uh, uh, the, the nature of the bullying is going to switch from gender shenanigans to mayor shenanigans because like, Jim Watson here in Ottawa has gotten some really distasteful backlash for coming out as gay. But I'm willing to bet 98% of the negative comments about him still have to do with the fact that the buses are always late. There was
0: a story that has been escalating, and that is of John Barrowman. Oh, yes. Now, I adore John Barrowman, and he has built up a bit of a, you know, not a cult following, but he's built up a huge fan base, first with his appearances in Doctor Who, and then in uh, Torchwood, uh, the spin-off series that was highly acclaimed, um... You know, and then I think he went into the Marvel Universe and I think, not Marvel, but he was like uh, a villain in the Flash. I believe. Oh, he was, yeah. I've heard about that. And uh, and then he was a, a, a guest judge on Dancing with the Stars, the British version of, of Dancing with the Stars. Right, um, yes. Where his uh, seat is currently um, a little bit uh, at risk. Now, why didn't you tell us a little, little bit about what's happening with John battleman?
1: The summary of the story is that back in his Doctor Who and Torchwood days, um, he would get pretty, uh, let's say, collegiate with his uh, his coworkers. And he would play little pranks on them. There are a lot of people in, in the acting industry who are known for being pranksters. Uh, but one of the things that he would do is he would flash people. Uh, sometimes he'd show them his butt. Sometimes he'd you know, flash them in the front. Um, and it was all in jest, and people at the time were just sort of like, oh, ho, ho, uh, unexpected, but. Uh, but then over the past couple of years, people have started coming forward and saying, like, it, it, it wasn't once or twice. It wasn't always well-received, and sometimes he did not take, please stop that, terribly seriously. Now, There's all sorts of things going on, like a lot of moving parts. Now, first of all, both of us can say outright, this is not a good thing. Neither of us are defending his actions. Uh, There's a difference between explaining a context and excusing behavior. Uh, There is a huge issue of difference in the sort of cultural aspects of the English and North American acting world. So most people on TV in Britain also spend a lot of time on stage. And there's a lot of nudity in British theatre. So
0: so the way this story emerged is actually not because of John Barrowman at all. Oh. Uh, he has to do with the fact of his, uh, you know, Doctor Who series co-host, Noel Clarke, so shortly after he was uh, awarded a, a, a BAFTA a British Academy yeah. Film and Television Award, uh, the Guardian had spoken to 20 women, and I quote here: "The Guardian has spoken to 20 women, all of whom, who, all of whom knew Clark in a professional capacity. They variously accuse him of sexual harassment, unwanted touching or groping, sexually inappropriate behaviour and comments on sesh, uh, set, professional misconduct." taking and sharing explicit uh, pictures and videos without consent and bullying between 2004 and 2019. Uh, He's, uh, Noel Clark is in a lot of trouble. Uh, He categorically denies these allegations from all of the 20 women. BAFTA suspended his outstanding contribution award. Um, And there's also an allegation that he uh, secretly filmed a naked audition. Um, so, yeah, it's um, certainly quite the story. So when this came out, you know, Noel Clark featured in uh, multiple episodes, uh, multiple series Ooh. of Doctor Who. He was, uh, uh, you know, enamored with with Rose, Rose Tyler, who was uh, played by Billy Porter. Okay. Um, in the series with uh, I think Christopher Lexon and then David Tennant, Mike. Um, Doctor Who general knowledge seems to be on point today. But this got people talking about the culture that was on set at the time. And one of the things that emerged is, uh, you know, John Barman was not against whipping his dick out for a laugh. Yeah. And it was very much the sort of camp, crass, locker room, you know, boyish behavior. And everyone involved, you know, everyone everyone they've spoken to, the media has talked to a lot of folks he worked with. Yeah. Every one of them has said that it not, it was in no way sexual. Yes. It wasn't perverse. It wasn't sexually aggressive. It wasn't suggested. Um, you know, he'd whip it out for a laugh, and someone's like, "I'm, you know, that's not appropriate." And he. Yeah, it I, I did, did
1: see a few people say it was really more that it was inappropriate
0: for the workplace.
1: That their sense of humor, if he had done that at a house party, it would have been very different. It was just like, like, yeah. God.
0: It, it was tomfoolery no. that was not appropriate. And we're also yeah. talking, you know, this is 2000, 2001, 2003. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think at that point, the the national discussion around what's appropriate and what's not appropriate wasn't where it is now. That's not to excuse this behavior. Oh, yeah, no. You know, it's not to say that it wasn't inappropriate now, but I think it's several shades less appropriate now than it was then, you know what I mean? I think people's yeah. permissibility has, has, you know. The, well, there's, there's also been
1: discussion within, um, not just, uh, I mean, if I say Hollywood, that implies a very specific thing, but just like the acting world in general about the state of professionalism in general, so one of the things that a lot of people discovered on the set of uh, Game of Thrones is the difference between the different generations, the different trainings of the different actors. So Christopher Lee would show up when he was told to be there. He had his lines memorized. He would do a scene, usually in two or three takes because he was a professional. And then at the end, he would say, all right, if you're done, I'll be in my trailer. If you need reshoots, to let me know if, uh, if you if you want me to go early, I can go early. It's fine. And that is very different from the sort of like, if if you see the sort of behind the scenes outtakes on a lot of things where people are laughing and yucking it up. And there are a lot of people saying like, you know, we need you to have a straight face and to perform a certain way. It's a serious scene. And if you get the giggles, it's really hard to help that kind of thing. But on the other hand, every second that you are showing people your butt or joking around or screwing with the scenery, you know, the boon operator is standing there being like, why am I here? So th- there is this, this, mm-hmm. um, discussion around professionalism in, in general. So this is sort of like a component of that. And the fact that that sort of like, it's, it's not a stereotype. The eighties and nineties were the cokehead years of the entertainment industry. And that idea of everybody just being drunk and high and, and screwing around and you end up with like masterpieces like meatballs, but generally speaking it was not worth it because you end up with a lot more garbage than And it's, it's no way to run a business and it's no way if you're serious. About yeah. Them. So.
0: I like mean, this is, no longer is the world of TV and entertainment, just the, 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 the side projects of individual actors and directors. Yeah. They are fully functioning workplaces with, you know, a hundred staff. Yep. you know you know like you mentioned the boom operator you know there's like 20 30 people in the room yeah, yeah you know yeah. Do, I, do do all of those people want to see John Bannerman's dick probably not yeah you know but uh, if it's no longer just a discussion about whether or not the one or two actors in the room uh, mm-hmm. thought that Tom Foolery was fine or not it's it's really a, a, like you said it's about the whole the whole environment
1: it's kind of a power and privilege thing like people get away with uh, what they think they can and if you're the star and you can tell people, like Bruce Willis is known for this. He'll just be like, hey, I don't feel like acting today. And people will say, well, Bruce, we're paying people by the hour. And he has actually just been like, I will pay their wages for them if we can all just go to the beach for the day. And he's done that kind of thing. And that, that, is, that won't fly anymore. Like one of the reasons why Sarah Michelle Geller was chosen as Buffy the Vampire Slayer is because she came off a soap opera where you have one take. So there is a, a shift towards maybe we shouldn't let that kind of thing fly because as a result of decades of um, sort of tyrannical actors and directors where tyrannical isn't always about like the villainy of people like Weinstein, but also like, you know, the, the, the tyranny of good spirit where you're like, hey, everybody, let's joke around. It's like, no, we have a product to make. And if, if you screw around, we're going to be here until midnight. We have families. Sort of drawing a line and saying we can't let this happen anymore because it does fly off into the Weinstein direction when we don't treat it like a business.
0: Well, he hasn't been currently attached to the uh, Dancing on uh, Dancing on Dancing with the Stars mm-hmm. uh, in the UK, but he's been dropped from the theatrical production of uh, the Doctor Who immersive immersive um, production, Doctor Who Time Fracture which was going to be a stage show, uh, he got dropped from that as a result of these revelations. So I don't know. I mean, part of me is thinking maybe that's appropriate. That's an appropriate consequence. We're going to jump to the first song. This is by Cassidy Kivit. It's a furry artist, you know, like folks who... who, who I have yeah. heard of
1: this artist. Yeah. Let's play some. Yeah,
0: so Cassidy Kivit put a new track called Black Wolf, We've seen some tracks from Cassidy Kivit before. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been sort of on the fence because they're a bit, uh, you know, I feel like they'd be on the soundtrack to Final Fantasy. Um, but this particular track, I think, was just a good, catchy tune. So That's this cool. is Black Wolf by Cassidy Kivitt. Um, after that, I will be doing, uh, we'll be hearing the interview I did with the, with Canada's LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And we'll be back just
3: remember when you had my back To the hills when they attack Saw when you began to run Gone once the fight had begun You can't hide in the pitch black night with the hunter's eyes It's no surprise they got you Could have stayed to fight, loud bark, no bite With the turning tide on the scapegoat ride I told you, but To pick a side. One's a liar, one is right. You're dishonest when you speak. Promises like you are weak. You can't hide in the pitch black night with the hunter's eyes. It's no surprise they got you. Stay to fight Loud bark, no bite With the turning tide I'm the scapegoat, right? I told you But things you did i know i I won't soon forget what you did to me where will you where will you where will you go where where will you where will you where will you where will you go when all that's left for you is the company of God. And the black
0: Welcome back to Canque, a home of Canada's Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith, and I am very excited to be joined today. As I mentioned earlier in the show, by Ryan Nearing from the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. Although I think you just called the GLCC at this point. I think uh, that's sort of where you folks landed.
4: Yeah, the Canada's LGBT Plus Chamber of Commerce, so the CGLCC.
0: Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming and speaking to us. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what the Chamber of Commerce is about? Why, why do gay folks need their own chamber?
4: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Luke, for, for having us on the, on the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Ryan Nearing, I use CPM pronouns, and I am the Manager of Membership and Supplier Diversity with Canada's LGBT Chamber of Commerce, or the CGLCC. I'm very honoured to be joining you today from Mi'kma'ki, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, the traditional unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq, Maliseet people. So yes, Canada's LGBT Chamber of Commerce, or the CGLCC, we are a coalition of queer businesses, entrepreneurs, allies, government liaisons, corporate members, community partners, and students of business, all kinds of folks from different parts of society who are coming together uh, to advocate for and work towards a more inclusive Canadian economy, one step at a time. Um, You know, we get that question a lot. Why exactly is it beneficial to have a chamber of commerce for LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs? Back in 2018, we actually did a landscape study in partnership with the Nielsen Institute, a research institute. Uh, we surveyed the state of LGBTQ plus entrepreneurship in Canada, um, and we found you know, kind of a few interesting uh, facts. We found that one in four businesses in Canada is owned by a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Now that's equivalent to approximately 28,000 businesses from coast
0: to coast to coast. That's we a know huge that number. That's it's a huge like, number. Like, yeah, it's. I, I had no idea it was it was that many. When, it, that's, yeah. when you think of how many folks are actually LGBT identified, that seems almost disproportionate.
4: It, it, it's a significant number. And, you know, we know that small businesses are the backbone of the Canadian economy and they're the drivers of local economy. So you know they're the cafes that we go to, they're the restaurants, they're the art galleries, they're the manufacturers and exporters and now we know that queer entrepreneurs and queer-owned businesses make up a significant portion of that cohort. Um, You know the same survey found that our businesses collectively contribute about 22 billion dollars in gross corporate revenue approximately 1% of Canada's total um, and employ the equivalent of 435,000 full-time and part-time jobs. Like I mentioned, I'm based out of Halifax. That's the population of this entire city that would be employed by LGBTQ plus owned businesses. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it, those stats show just exactly how uh, much of a economic driver queer entrepreneurship can be. The role for us here in the chamber is to champion LGBTQ plus entrepreneurship, support entrepreneurs and business owners, um, and, you know, make sure that we're creating a Canadian economy that's really as inclusive and as diverse as possible.
0: Excellent. I mean, it certainly sounds like a, a monumental task uh, ahead of you folks. If I remember correctly, I think a couple of uh, months ago, uh, this pan. You know, pandemic is all blurred into one, but we did (laughs) interview uh, the LGBT Chamber of Commerce about the Safe Space Accreditational Pilot Program. Um, And, you know, I was actually kind of enamored with it because I thought it was such a great idea to allow uh, tourism organizations and retailers and others to kind of indicate the, the fact they're welcome. But also back that up with some training. You yep. know, it's not just a rainbow sticker on the door. Um, and, you know, is this the kind of programs that you do to kind of engage and, and promote the community?
4: Absolutely. So we have a general membership option for folks to get involved with the chamber, available for twenty dollars a month through our website cglcc.ca. Once folks enter the organization as members right away they start to see some benefits. They have access to our members portal to connect with one another. They have access to you know, professional development training opportunities. And then we have streamlined programs that are tailored depending on where the, what the entrepreneur is looking for and what's a good fit for them in their business. One of them is our rainbow registered program, the accreditation program that you just spoke about. It's actually being officially launched next month. We're incredibly excited for it. It is an opportunity for customer facing services, including tourism and hospitality to go through both training, but also a review process to make sure that they are creating an exclusive, accessible, uh, and equitable destination as possible for the LGBTQ plus traveler. Like you said, there's incredible opportunities to go through that, learn best practices, and then be able to proudly promote your destination, proudly promote your business as a rainbow registered business. Um, We also offer for LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs specifically the opportunity to get certified as a diverse certified supplier through our supplier diversity program. Um, This process is like I said, reserved solely for Canadian for-profit entities that are at least 51% owned, operated and controlled by a member of the LGBTQ plus community. They then have the opportunity to work with some of Canada's largest corporations, including TELUS, Rogers, TD, BMO, and competitively respond to their procurement opportunities. You know, these are major Canadian corporations that purchase a significant number of goods and services, and they join our chamber explicitly saying, yes, we would like to work with more diverse owned businesses. Can you please connect us with those businesses?
0: Absolutely. I I think for... You know, um, you know, LGBT folks who are passionate and uh, maybe want to look at, you know, effective career development, professional yeah. development. You know, I think the resources that uh, the LGBT Chamber provide is certainly something that would be of great value. Um, and that kind of segues me quite nicely to to sort of what's coming up this June. Yeah. Um, I have, I'm about to register. It's next on my to-do list following Excellent. our uh, after day. Um, and I was a little bit hesitant. and I'll be honest with you. When I read that there's going to be 37 sessions where you've got a Rolodex of the who's who in, in the business world, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be hundreds of dollars for me to, to, to go to. And uh, I was kind of floored that you folks have kind of responded to the, the reality of the pandemic. Um, maybe not flawed but you know it was a welcome surprise um, and you're you're offering the summit for free do you want to tell me a bit about that?
4: Absolutely. Well, Luke, we know that this past year has been incredibly challenging for business owners and entrepreneurs. We also know that you know diverse-owned businesses, including LGBTQ plus-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, racialized-owned businesses, indigenous-owned businesses, have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. That is why for the second year in a row, we have made our annual Global Business Summit completely, completely free. For general registration. Uh, this is in large part due to the generous support of our sponsors, including our title sponsor TD, but we want to make this summit as accessible as possible for folks. We want to make sure that we are opening the doors as much as we can. Last year, we had over 800 attendees from around the world attend our week-long summit, and we're hoping to exceed that this year.
0: Well, I was definitely impressed by the folks you had lined up. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, I think you have a senior VP from TD, which yeah. as one of your headline sponsors is uh, is not overly surprising. But there's somebody there from uh, from Amazon, the City of Toronto, Tourism Kingston, Kellogg's yeah. uh, are showing up. And I even recognized uh, Randy Boissonneau, uh, the yes. former LGBT secretary at... Uh, uh, secretary, sorry. Um yeah so it's definitely quite the interesting lineup i'm certainly looking forward to attending uh, as many of the 33 sorry 37 se- uh, was it 37 sessions yeah um, as possible is there any of that sort of jump out to you that you think folks should uh, take note of
4: well absolutely we're we're hoping to provide a good mix of the of content for the summit so it is taking place from june 7th to 10th 2021 called New World, the 2021 Digital LGBT Plus Global Business Summit, we will be providing tailored content for attendees to basically equip themselves with the resources and the tools and the thought leadership that they need to step into the new world. You know, we know that this pandemic has created unrelated digital disruption and rapidly reinventing industries, businesses are pivoting and responding to remain competitive. And we want to provide the innovative leading thought leadership to assist in that development. Um, we will be having two streams of programming over the course of the summit, one for small businesses, one for corporations, larger entities, um, providing panel discussions, workshops on topics, including accessing the international market, the future of work, um, exporting and, and taking advantage of international trade opportunities, uh, You know how to set up and expand a supplier diversity program. But we're also incredibly excited to have a number of keynote speakers and inspirational speakers that will be taking place, including Raya Coach Carey, a three-time certified life coach, and a recent guest on our own podcast called Out Loud. We will be inviting, uh, welcoming as well um, Katie Dudchok, who is the executive vice president of RBC, to talk about uh, leadership um, in the banking industry. And we just announced today that Dax De Silva, the founder and CEO of Lightspeed, will be our opening night keynote address for a fireside chat. He is an incredible leader in the tech space. He is an incredible leader in the queer entrepreneurship space. We are very excited to have him join us for the summit.
0: I find that very often, you know, when you're starting a business or, or kind of networking, and I think that your your conference certainly has virtual networking as well. But it's really getting to know folks, realizing you're not, you know, the only one uh, trying to push through in the middle of this. Um, yeah. It's worth noting for folks listening who maybe want to have that more um, matchmaking sort of one-on-one session there's a separate cost for that it's about 50 bucks Um, i think it's certainly worth it for those who want to build those connections so just uh putting that out there for those who are listening and possibly uh interested in participating um for folks to find it honestly it didn't take me you know a huge amount to find it um it's uh cglcc.ca so charlie gamma I'm um, actually—it's just C-G-L-C-C, I can't remember the <laughs> the thingy alphabet at the top of my head. .ca, and then under news and events, very easy to find. Um, and I strongly uh, encourage everybody who has maybe an eye towards starting a new business once the world has uh, recovered a little bit. Yeah. Um, or wants to take their, their business to a new strength. Now, this is falling in June, you know, in theory, folks are gonna be vaccinated and, and, and well, hopefully, and, and starting to look at uh, moving back to a, a normal world. Is yeah. that the sort of uh, perspective or lens that you have with this conference?
4: Absolutely, you know, I, I will say that, like I said, this is the second year that we have uh, made this conference digital. It has significantly made it more accessible for folks to join from across the country. We're a national organization, Um, but we know that the future of work is going to look different. We know that we're stepping into this new world. Like I said, we want to be providing that dot that leading edge thought leadership, whether it's, you know, identifying the new trends, consumer trends or workplace habits that are going to be in place is whether it's remote working, whether it's using more automated technology. um, We want to be providing uh, attendees that that information and resources to help respond to that. We also know that the LGBTQ plus traveler is likely going to be the first travel demographic. To re-engage with both domestic and international tourism once uh, once 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 it's safe to do so. We will be providing you know, in co- content to help tourist destinations uh, respond and prepare for what is going to be an unprecedented return and boom in the tourism industry. Um, we're bringing in, you know, some fantastic folks who went through some of the training that we chatted about earlier Luke, to create uh, inclusive and diverse workplaces, tourist destinations. Um, we want to, you know, we know that it's going to be a very different world that we're heading into. Our hope is the content that we're providing at the summit will be incredibly useful and will help prepare members and all attendees to respond to that.
0: Well, it's it's interesting you mentioned that you were from uh, Halifax before the mm-hmm. the world you know you know happened. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our goals was a, a road trip out uh, out to the oh, east cool. coast and stopping in on Halifax. So uh, myself, my partner, and some some queer folks and friends we definitely definitely. Chomping at the bit to get back out there. So at least I personally will be one of those tourists that will uh, be be uh, diving out as soon as possible. Awesome. Um, I want to thank you, Ryan, so much for taking the time to chat with me and and all of the folks listening. Uh, If you are interested in finding out more, cglcc.ca. Very easy to find. They're the LGBT Chamber of Commerce for Canada, and uh, I look forward to attending the summit. So thank you again for joining me. We'll be back just after this. C'est pas facile
5: d'être humain D'être humain D'être humain C'est pas facile d'être humain C'est pas facile C'est pas facile Il y a mille petites douceurs Dans la douleur, dans la douleur Il y a mille petites douceurs Dans la douceur, dans la douceur Personne n'a dit que Ce serait simple Personne n'a dit que Ce serait si bon Damn it.
0: to Canque, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. No, I'm Sebastian. That was Detre Humain by Annabelle Schwastik. And uh, we are now jumping into the rest of the show. The community-based research center does a study called the Sex Now survey. And they essentially uh, try and figure out uh, sexual and mental health uh, from participants all across Canada. Mm-hmm. We've reported on it multiple times um folks should definitely go and check it out sex now survey 2021 is the one in place um, it gives them very valuable information but the story i want to share with folks today is that they are offering free hiv self-test kits mm-hmm. for eligible participants who uh take the survey on the website now to be eligible you need to be uh british Columbian. so we have a lot of stations that carry us in british columbia Right. Um, You need to be identified as non-binary or as a man who identifies as gay, bisexual, transgender, um, two-spirited or queer. Mm -hmm. You can receive up to three HIV self-test kits in the mail uh, from the Canadian Health Advisory Organization. Now the reason why this is such a big news story is because the at-home HIV self-test kit has existed for a while. You're aware of these things. Yeah. But they've only been authorized for use in Canada since November. So this is like one of the first major rollouts of Mm -hmm. the at-home self-testing kits.
1: I thought we had a conversation with Gary LaCasse about this last year, didn't we?
0: Or was it that... And they were, they were being worked on. And it was, and, and I think it was actually at the start of the year. It was in January, February. And we'd mentioned that it had been approved in November.
1: Oh, I remember what it was. It was, uh, I think he mentioned that there were ways around it that you could like buy it on Amazon from the States and stuff like that. And it was a, a less reliable kit, but it's still, it was better than nothing. Yeah, okay, yeah. So this is, this is uh, about, mm, let's say three years later than it should be.
0: Yeah, you can buy them from the manufacturer online. Mm-hmm. They're about 35 Canadian to, uh, to, to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, this is, it's very good news that these kits have been released. And I think what's interesting about the approach taken with this initiative from the community-based research centre is that they recognise, and as Gary Lacasse, the executive director of the Canadian Aid Society, was telling us in an earlier interview, you know, they recognise that at home testing, sorry, HIV testing across Canada is nowhere near where it was at in 2019 before the pandemic, because mm-hmm. folks aren't going into clinics, yep, yep. you know, to get tested uh, for HIV. So yeah, the testing rate has gone through the floor.
1: I find it interesting that there hasn't been any kind of a a, a panel that you can do where. Uh, it also tests for, you know, uh, syphilis and gonorrhea. I mean, some of those are bacterial and they're harder to test for, but the, the other viral ones like the uh, HPV, uh, you can do that with the, um, oh, what is it called? The, the the protein spikes and you can measure it and it changes color and it's a whole thing. For some reason, I can remember everything about the mechanism, but not what it's called. But anyway, uh, it, it's kind of a pity that we don't have something like that because HIV is not the only kid on the block. And... It would be like a lot of the stuff that we're doing to block HIV uh, does not necessarily block some of the bacterial infections or the parasites and things like that. So I don't know. I, I would I would like to see that expanded, but th- I'm not going to say this is a bad thing. This is a very good thing. And I'm excited to hear this, you know?
0: So that's, I mean, it's great news. And uh, we'll see how the research uh, center. You know, can you know what what impact that has on people filling out the survey? Um, but if you are listening and you're in British Columbia, be sure to check it out and uh, get an at-home test kit. Mm. You know, if it's free, just to fill out a short survey, um, then it's always better to know, be aware, and and be able to respond and react to that.
1: There's a bunny out my window. <laughs> There's a
0: bunny out my window. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> in, other, in other HIV news, um, there is a man, Christopher Carras, who in 2016 sued Health Canada for essentially facilitating or upholding, I think is the word that's being used, mm. the Canadian Blood Services policy of prohibiting men that were sex with men from donating blood in Canada. Um, you know, unless they've crossed their legs and been celibate for a certain amount of time at the point that he'd filed the safety, it was two years, now I believe it's three months. Yeah. The Liberal Party of Canada has declared this, a, you know, a discrimin- discriminatory policy against gay men.
1: Yeah, and, and again, we've been covering this on and off since uh, 2011 when we started. Uh, they test the blood anyway.
0: Yeah. So they claim that, uh, the you know, the deferment period is needed because HIV is more prevalent against men who have sex with men, um, referred to as the MSM population. In some parts of Canada, it's frankly not true. Yep. Um, being a straight woman could be a higher risk category than a gay man. For um, the past... So, yeah, uh, it just doesn't match the science, and it doesn't explain if they test the blood anyway. Yeah, intravenous drug users are uh, in saskatchewan the highest leading yeah know, the, the, leading the biggest risk, yeah. well on
1: average across canada it, it works out to be intravenous uh drug users but like they are not known for uh indicating that on surveys uh because there are legal issues there uh with regards to that so i mean it, it's the whole thing i mean they, they test it anyway because people sometimes don't know their status sometimes they lie sometimes um they'll read something like did you do this recently and they think well you know I did this but it, that doesn't count because all we did was touch the tip so you know the the some of these surveys are are they're not very clear or, or people lie or they don't understand the question or they don't feel like answering or they're like you know giving blood is more important to me uh so I'm gonna just like do what I can to
0: help right? I think the, the crux of the issue is surely the health of the serological, like the the blood supply in Canada does not depend on what somebody writes on the survey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like empirically, I hope Canadian blood services has moved on from relying entirely on whether or not you put an X or a a tick on a survey box. They are, they ought to be, and they've, they've told news agencies that they do test. Yeah. Yeah. So what on earth is the purpose of this policy if they're going to test the blood anyway? Just Except put, to exclude a significant proportion of people from being able to yeah,
1: their blood. You think about how many people mistakenly put the wrong blood type. You know, they, they forget their blood type and they indicate blood type and then they're wrong. Like the number of people who are just mistaken because your blood is usually hidden away inside of you, you know, you're not very intimate with your blood, generally speaking, unless you have like a bitey scratchy cat who constantly pulls it out of your body. Um, most people, you know, they, they don't see their blood on a day-to-day basis and they don't exactly memorize their panel. So it, it's the whole thing, like they should be testing it anyway, just because
0: human fallibility. So as folks know, you know, the there are certain charter protections and so on, um, to protect Canadians from the actions of government, the Canadian Blood Services is a sort of third-party, independent nonprofit. Um, however, Canada—and I quote here from coverage by the CBC—Canada's blood regulations do authorize the department, the Canadian Health Department, to ask Canadian Blood Services to address an emergency health issue. Um, they also say that uh, you know. Essentially, they're saying that, you know, Health Canada has nothing to do with this. It's not our policy, it's it's Hema Quebec and the Canadian Blood Service. It's not us, it's them. Therefore, you can't sue us because we're not discriminating. We're just taking blood from a single provider who themselves are discriminating. And that single provider is empowered to do so by the regulatory authority that we provide them. However, we're not discriminating. It's not us, it's them. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this young gay man, or, well, not young gay man at this point, um, but uh, as I mentioned, uh, he has, Chris Karas has sued the government, particularly Health Canada or specifically Health Canada to the Canadian Federal Human Rights Commission. And uh, he will now be heard by a federal court judge on May the 27th. So it'll be interesting to see what arguments are made. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, maybe later in the year, uh, if the the court is feeling particularly speedy, uh, we may have a, you know, a a judgment on whether or not Health Canada is responsible for its single source of blood in English Canada, um, you know, and, and whether or not these policies will stand. Trudeau, as I mentioned earlier, on several occasions when they've run for Parliament, and has promised to remove the ban. Um, it's gone from two years to three months uh, in terms of enforced celibacy to be able to donate blood at this point. Um, however, other countries... To- Sorry? Which you can lie about. Yeah, because, you know, apparently the system depends on an X or a tick a box. But uh, aside from other countries have, over the past couple of years, completely scrapped these regulations. And I believe the uh, CDC in the US is also in the final steps of doing so. So yeah, Canada's definitely a laggard on this. And it seems like uh, this court case, which has taken a couple of years to come to to this point, Mm -hmm. uh, may force the hand of the government to finally make a decision as to whether or not this is acceptable.
1: Mm -hmm. And they ask risk questions anyway. Like, have you had sex with somebody New recently like they they ask that to everyone because that's the risky behavior not the doing it with a dude when you are a dude so like they 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 already screen out the the actual risky behavior the fact that you're both dudes is kind of unrelated because they already ask all the relevant questions anyway
0: yeah and just you know to clarify to the audience you know if i was in a you know, a, a, uh, whatchamacallit, not hegemonic, not heteronormon, not, what's the word? Monogamous? That's the one I was looking for, monogamous (laughs) relationship. If I was in a monogamous relationship for three months, and I did a HIV at-home test every single day for 30 days, and took a stack of papers in with me, they still would not let me donate. Because unless I promise them, cross my fingers, hope to die, I promise them I've crossed my legs like a good boy for three months, they don't want my blood. I mean, it's absolutely farcical that that's the policy in place. It really is. Well, on that lovely, you know, it, it, you know exciting note, I did want to note that uh, the U.S. House of Congress has passed a bill that could designate the, uh, the location of the Pulse nightclub um, as a national memorial in the USA. Uh, for folks who maybe you aren't familiar, the Post Nightclub became one of the, the United States' single worst mass murder events uh, in the history, where 49 people were uh, killed and 53 others were wounded in an attack on an LGBT nightclub in Orlando um, about five years ago. So that was 2022. 2017 I think it was so yes um, it's good news it'll now have to go to the senate and we'll see you know how it goes from there but it was exciting to see that uh, you know the United States house of representatives in in congress um, at least will be keeping an eye on this Um, earlier we were talking about sexual misconduct and uh, particularly actors you mentioned um, Weinstein a couple of times oh yeah I wanted to give an update. We have been monitoring the Kevin Spacey story. Oh yeah, I I read something earlier on this week, but I don't remember what it was. What was the update? So the US District Judge uh, Lewis Kaplan has in the case with a, an anonymous person called C.D. Um, and uh, Anthony Rapp. They both filed lawsuits against um, uh, Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Um, C.D., the person known as C.D., um, accuses Kevin Spacey of sexually assaulting him when um, the individual was 14 years old, according to the lawsuit. Now, the judge um, has ordered that this individual, uh, you know, come out publicly um, as part of the lawsuit uh, you know and uh, it appears that lawyers are you know speaking on behalf of this individual um have indicated that they won't do so yes. so this individual has accused Kevin Spacey of uh sexual assaults and and much worse um starting as as young as uh, 14 they've been seeking about 40 million in damages um, as a result of this however it looks like, uh, this case, uh, this court case may just uh, fall apart because the judge seems to have given the, the ultimatum that uh, it will only move forward if the public knows who they are. Um, and that can be quite, uh, quite damaging.
1: Well, I know in the American system, you have the right to face your accuser and you cannot file a court case anonymously, but that doesn't prevent them from doing something in camera. If it's something like you know in the courthouse, but only the judge and you know only the, the the relevant people, or they could do it even in the chambers. Like you don't even have to do
0: it in the yeah. I, you know, it's worth saying. I am very confident that the lawyers and the judge and everybody involved knows who this person is. Okay. You know, but there is uh, they they haven't publicly revealed themselves. You know, such as uh, court publication bans that uh, prevent the publication of of uh, of names. Uh, You know i think it's interesting we'll have to keep an eye out and see how this progresses
1: they'd be able to do this though wouldn't they because i think you can ask for dispensation or something like that in Uh, yeah i'm
0: confident it's the same in the us but this particular judge has decided that uh they would need to be public for the court case to move forward this individual has declined to go public it's now back in the hands of the judge So it's a bit of a toss-up as to whether or not the judge will accept the anonymity moving forward or will dismiss the case uh, as a result of not complying. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, that is a story that we have been monitoring. Now, I think that's it for us. There were a lot of other stories we didn't get to today, but uh, these things happen. A lot
1: Um, of stories about prides around the world yeah
0: a lot of stories about pride including one uh, you could buy a pride gin Uh, london pride teamed up with an alcohol beverage provider and you can get a gin you know brought to you by the corporation of london pride so you have you have different feelings from me on that
1: yeah i mean i i am a gin drinker and uh i i I mean, if if Ottawa Pride wants to send me free gin, then I'm all for that. But the corporatization of Pride is is what I have to. Now, do. if
0: if Ottawa Pride or Toronto Pride wants to charge me fifty dollars for gin, I don't know. I'm on the fence. It would have to be very good gin. You know what I mean?
1: Like Zip Smith.
0: Mm. Yeah, but well, that's a alcohol-free gin, isn't it? Oh. No. Oh, no, they were just <laughs> I think they make alcohol free gin. Oh, anyway, so- we're off topic. Let's yeah. jump into our last song. This is Tomorrow by Bruno Capanan, and we'll be back next week. I've been Luke Smith.
1: And I have been Sebastian, and thank you for listening. What do you know?
2: What do you say? Oh babe, you know